Hello, this is Adrian Hendricks. And Jerry Hendricks of Say One More Now, Incorporated, where our focus is to lovingly confront all activities dishonoring human life created in the image of God. There is no greater dishonor to human life and to God than to bypass by ignorance or rejection His salvation that is only available through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. God is an excellent teacher, but many of us Christians seem to have trouble following Him. The problem about our learning is not with God, but with us. Could it be that we are dull students, that is, we are slow to learn and understand? When He wants to lead us to a thing, He prepares us by teaching us what to do and when to do it, but we must wait for Him to give us the go-ahead for the next thing. One example of this was in the Garden of Eden. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil were in the garden at the same time, Adam and Eve had immediate permission to eat freely from every tree in the garden, including the tree of life, but they were warned by God not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They did consume fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and were driven out of the garden. Now only those who overcome coldness toward the Lord and restore their fervent love for Him can eat from the tree of life, according to Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. God is good and goes to great lengths to make sure we don't miss the good he has for us. But when we Christians disobey God, we set up confusion in ourselves and perhaps even in others. This places us in the position to miss the very thing to which God intends to take us. Jesus called people who did this hypocrites. Most people are familiar with this word, and they have also heard it applied to people who make themselves out to be one thing, but behave in a manner that indicates the opposite. This may be the cause for what appears to be confusion these days about what it means or looks like to be a real Christian. What people are has more to do with what is in their hearts rather than what is seen by their outside appearances or what they say because their actions clearly show what is inside. We believe much of the confusion in the minds of people comes from the hypocrisy of actually living in opposition to what they may claim to believe. At Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 16, Jesus warned a crowd of people around him about the danger of ignoring what was inside man. And calling near all the crowd, he said to them, Listen to me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from outside a man which entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the ones that defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then when he was asked by his disciples to explain, Jesus said to them at Mark chapter 7, verses 18 through 23, Are you also without understanding? Do you not perceive that whatever enters into the man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter into his heart, but into the belly, and goes out into the waste bowl, purifying all food? And he said, That which comes out of the man is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things pass out from inside and defile the man. Some who wear the Christian label today are really like the unbelieving Pharisees around in Jesus' day. 
However, Nicodemus, the righteous Pharisee who came to Jesus secretly by night, affirmed both his identity and his purpose. But Jesus told Nicodemus something that neither Nicodemus nor many of us today understood or know what to do about. Let's take a look at John chapter 3 verses 1 through 21. There was a man named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee and a Jewish leader. One night he went to Jesus and said, Sir, we know that God has sent you to teach us. You could not work these miracles unless God were with you. Now, Nicodemus admitted something here. Because of the miracles, the Pharisees knew quite well that God had sent Jesus. God had given the Pharisees his go-ahead to follow Jesus by means of the miracles he had performed. But because Jesus was not the package the Pharisees and others expected, they refused to profess publicly that Jesus was who they knew he was, and their hearts became hard. Subsequently, as we read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we will encounter phrases like, but because of envy, or they said this out of envy, or they said this to find something with which to accuse him. They had allowed hypocrisy to gain a foothold. Jesus then invited Nicodemus to do an astonishing thing at John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus replied, I tell you for certain that you must be born from above before you can see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, How can a grown man ever be born a second time? Jesus answered, I tell you for certain that before you can get into God's kingdom, you must be born not only by water but by the Spirit. Humans give life to their children, yet only God's Spirit can change you into a child of God. Don't be surprised when I say that you must be born from above. Only God's Spirit gives new life. The Spirit is like the wind that blows wherever it wants to. You can hear the wind, but you don't know where it is coming from or where it is going. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, How can you be a teacher of Israel and not know these things? This is common today. We have teachers who presume to teach us about God and the things of God, but don't know about Him as they ought, and are therefore unable to appropriately teach anyone else. One cannot give to others that which one does not first have, but God is to be praised. Since the Holy Spirit has been given to us all as our helper and our teacher, the Holy Spirit brings us to His light. Jesus continues His dialogue with Nicodemus by giving His credentials. I tell you for certain that we know what we are talking about because we have seen it ourselves, but none of you will accept what we say. If you don't believe when I talk to you about things on earth, how can you possibly believe if I talk to you about things in heaven? No one has gone up to heaven except the Son of Man who came down from there. And the Son of Man must be lifted up, just as that metal snake was lifted up by Moses in the desert. Then everyone who has faith in the Son of Man will have eternal life. Jesus is referring here to very real Jewish history at Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 through 9. When the Israelites griped, God sent snakes to bite the complainers and kill them. When they repented, God told Moses to make a bronze snake, place it on a pole, and instruct the people to look at it. When they did this, they would live even though they had been bitten. But this time, Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he, Jesus, like the snake, would be the source of life for those with the faith to look to him. Those Israelites who believed Moses had faith in what he told them, acted on their belief, looked at the snake, and lived. This time, all who look to Jesus and believe on him, that is, have faith in him, 
will live forever and spend eternity with him, even though bitten by the snake of sin. Now, Jesus reveals the Father's solution to Nicodemus for those bitten by the snake of sin that still plagues us today. God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who has faith in him will have eternal life and never really die. God did not send his son into the world to condemn its people. He sent him to save them. No one who has faith in God's Son will be condemned, but everyone who doesn't have faith in Him has already been condemned for not having faith in God's only Son. The light has come into the world, and people who do evil things are judged guilty because they love the dark more than the light. People who do evil hate the light and won't come to the light because it clearly shows what they have done. Most everyone claiming to be Christian emphatically embraces John 3:16 and 17. Those verses which follow, however, are given little notice, but are just as true. When a person realizes the truth of who Jesus is, that person is following the prompting of God's go-ahead to believe. You see, the faith that allows us to follow this prompting from God is the same faith that gives us eternal life. To refuse to believe in the heart, even though one claims to follow Jesus Christ or to follow his teachings, is to condemn one's own self to the judgment of God. The refusal to believe in the heart is to essentially call God a liar. Please note that in just about any version of the Bible, John 3 verses 19 and 20 talk about people who do evil, not people who are tempted to do evil. This is an important distinction. Evil deeds continue because people love them. If they come to the light of God, their deeds will be exposed. They will then have to suffer the consequences and the wickedness they love will come to an end. But all who are sick at heart about evil deeds that they just cannot stop can come to Jesus for help. According to John 1.9, He is the light who lights every man that comes into the world. Those coming to Jesus will discover that he has paid the price for every evil deed. By what Hebrews chapter 7 verse 16 calls his endless life, Jesus the Messiah gives power to believers tempted to do evil to escape the trap of sin according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. No temptation has taken you but what is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able but with the temptation also will make a way to escape so that you may be able to bear it. Jesus ends his conversation with Nicodemus at John chapter 3, verse 21 by saying, But everyone who lives by the truth will come to the light because they want others to know that God is really the one doing what they do. That means God is the one working in and through them. Diligence in following Jesus will cause us to do things for which the only explanation is God himself. At John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, Jesus tells his disciples, I tell you for certain that if you have faith in me, you will do the same things that I am doing. You will even do greater things now that I'm going back to the Father. Ask me, and I will do whatever you ask. This way the Son will bring honor to the Father. I will do whatever you ask me to do. God works through people who are His. God gave His people, the Israelites, some rules about their conduct in the land they were about to possess. He foretold of Jesus' appearance within these instructions. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9-22, through 22, we read, Soon you will go into the land that the Lord your God is giving you. 
The nations that live there do things that are disgusting to the Lord, and you must not follow their example. Don't sacrifice your son or daughter, and don't try to use any kind of magic or witchcraft to tell fortunes or to cast spells or to talk with spirits of the dead. The Lord is disgusted with anyone who does these things, and that's why he will help you destroy the nations that are in the land. Never be guilty of doing any of these disgusting things. You will go in and take the land from nations that practice magic and witchcraft, but the Lord your God won't allow you to do these things. Instead, he will choose one of your own people to be a prophet just like me, and you must do what that prophet says. You were asking for a prophet the day you were gathered at Mount Sinai and said to the Lord, Please don't let us hear your voice or see this terrible fire again. If we do, we will die. Then the Lord told me, Moses, they have said the right thing. So when I want to speak to them, I will choose one of them to be a prophet like you. I will give my message to that prophet who will tell the people exactly what I have said. Since the message comes from me, anyone who doesn't obey the message will have to answer to me. But if I haven't spoken and a prophet claims to have a message from me, you must kill that prophet and you must also kill any prophet who claims to have a message from another god. You may be asking yourselves, how can we tell if a prophet's message really comes from the Lord? You will know because if the Lord says something will happen, it will happen. And if it doesn't, you will know that the prophet was falsely claiming to speak for the Lord. Don't be afraid of any prophet whose message doesn't come from the Lord. The Pharisees, in their zeal to follow the law of Moses, missed the point of the law, which was to bring them to their great God, Yahweh, so they could get to know him intimately. He was telling them to wait for a specific prophet who would speak for God himself, since they didn't want to hear the terrible voice of their creator unfiltered. So Nicodemus's admission that the Pharisees knew who Jesus was proved that they also missed God's go-ahead, They missed Jesus. They didn't embrace, revere, or worship Jesus, who is Emmanuel, or God with us. Their hypocritical attitudes caused them to miss the God they thought they were waiting for. But we're not finished with Nicodemus just yet. This righteous man, aware of what the Pharisees were up to, spoke up in Jesus' defense at John chapter 7, verse 32, and verses 45 through 52. When the Pharisees heard the crowd arguing about Jesus, they got together with the chief priests and sent some temple police to arrest him. When the temple police returned to the chief priests and Pharisees, they were asked, Why didn't you bring Jesus here? They answered, No one has ever spoken like that man. The Pharisees said to them, Have you also been fooled? Not one of the chief priests or the Pharisees has faith in him. And these people who don't know the law are under God's curse anyway. Nicodemus was there at the time. He was a member of the council and was the same one who had earlier come to see Jesus. He said, Our law doesn't let us condemn people before we hear what they have to say. We cannot judge them before we know what they have done. Then they said, Nicodemus, you must be from Galilee. Read the scriptures and you will find that no prophet is to come from Galilee. Cleverly, the Pharisees shut Nicodemus down. They neither answered his complaint nor explained their craftiness. But again, the hardness of their hearts kept them from hearing what their own law demanded. With the miracles of Jesus, God plainly demonstrated, gave everyone, including the Pharisees, his go-ahead. But they had gone against the signature of Yahweh. They had missed Jesus. Jesus explained to Nicodemus what now would be the measure for condemnation, 
that people would love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The Pharisees deliberately turned away from the light sent by God. They turned away from Jesus. They had already made up their minds about him and preferred their evil deed of plotting his death. With their condemnation of the Savior of the world, they condemned themselves. But what about Nicodemus? He did not miss Jesus at all. Neither did the man with whom he is last seen in Scripture, Joseph of Arimathea, who is described in Luke chapter 23, verses 50 and 51 as follows. There was a man named Joseph who was from Arimathea in Judea. Joseph was a good and honest man, and he was eager for God's kingdom to come. He was also a member of the council, but he did not agree with what they had decided. John records their last kindness to Jesus at John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, for he was a disciple of Jesus and kept concealed through fear of the Jews, requested of Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate permitted, and he came and bore away the body of Jesus. And there also came Nicodemus, he who previously came to Jesus by night, and he brought with him a compound of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And they bore away the body of Jesus and wound it in linens and aromatics, as it is the custom of the Jews to bury. And there was a garden in the place where Jesus was crucified, and in the garden a new sepulcher in which no person had ever been laid. And there they laid Jesus, because the Sabbath had commenced, and because the sepulcher was near." While researching for this message, we encountered many opinions regarding both Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Perhaps there were so many opinions, because after the death of Jesus, these men appear no more. However, they did acknowledge Jesus, although it may not have been what many thought they should have done. So, in keeping with the spirit of what was recorded about them, we end with theologian Matthew Henry's commentary on the character of these two men and what happened in that borrowed tomb. Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Christ incognito, in secret. It was his honor that he was a disciple of Christ. Disciples should openly own themselves, yet Christ may have many that are his disciples sincerely, though secretly. Better secretly than not at all, especially if, like Joseph here, they grow stronger and stronger. Some who, in less trials, have been timorous, yet in greater, have been very courageous. So Joseph here, God raised up this gentleman that the scripture might be fulfilled. Note, when God has work to do, he can find out such as are proper to do it and embolden them for it. Nicodemus, another person of quality, and in a public post, he was a secret friend to Christ, although not his constant follower. He at first came to Jesus by night, but now owned him publicly as before. That grace which at first is like a bruised reed may afterwards become like a strong cedar, and the trembling lamb bold as a lion. It is a wonder that Joseph and Nicodemus, men of such interest, did not appear sooner and solicit Pilate not to condemn Christ, especially seeing him so loath to do it. But Christ would have none of his friends to endeavor to prevent his death when his hour was come. While his persecutors were forwarding the accomplishment of the scriptures, his followers must not obstruct it. Why did they make this ado about Christ's dead body? However, we may plainly see in it the strength of their love. Hereby they showed the value they had for this person and doctrine, and that it was not lessened by the reproach of the cross. For as God had done him honor in his sufferings, so did men too 
even great men, they showed not only the charitable respect of committing his body to the earth, but the honorable respect shown to great men. Since God designed honor for this body, they would put honor upon it. However, we must do our duty according as the present day and opportunity are and leave it to God to fulfill his promises in his own way and time. Thus, without pomp or solemnity is the body of Jesus laid in the cold and silent grave. Here lies a seeming captive to death, but a real conqueror over death. For here lies death itself slain and the grave conquered. Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory. We at Say One More Now Incorporated encourage all listeners to seek the Lord for His calling on your life. If you are faithful to spend time with Him throughout the day, you will come to know without a doubt that He really loves you and He has a purpose for your being here. We can be reached by email at truelife at saveonemorenow.org or our telephone number in the United States, 850-727-0493. We look forward to joining you next week and ask you to remember, Life is good. God gives life. God is good.